Continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we move from Jesus' explanation of what the kingdom people look like in relationship to others, and now we move into chapter 6, Jesus is giving us an explanation of what Christians look like in relationship to God. And the overriding principle that Jesus wants us to remember is found in verse 6, verse 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There is a right way and a wrong way to pray. When I was growing up, my father had a right way and a wrong way to talk about things at the dinner table. We did not talk about bathroom humor at the dinner table, and I'm sure many of you didn't either. There was no silliness. There was no play. We were expected to be serious, and we were expected to address our parents with respect, as many of you were expected. To address your Dad set and mom set the limits and the standards for the way we talk to them. And every parent should do the same with their child. There is a right way to talk to your parents. There is a wrong way to talk to your parents. Young people today, when they pass, they, they like to say, I'll say, can you pick it up? Yeah. I want yes, sir. Not because, I'm, not because I'm so important that I need yes, sir, but because our young people are losing their respect for authority. You think I'm kidding? No. Open up your computers, because nobody reads a newspaper anymore. Open up your computers and look what's going on in our major cities. We've lost the respect for authority. We think we can just talk to the authorities any way we want. What happens when we do that with our prayer life? There is a right way and a wrong way to pray to God. That's what our sermon's about today. Praying the right way instead of the wrong way. We hear all these acrostics on Christian radio and we see them on uh, the Trinity Broadcasting Network of pray, provision, repentance, acceptance. And yelling, I don't know. But we have all of these acrostics and we try and follow them. But this morning I just want to lay out the fundamental principles, the foundational principles without prayer. Jesus commands us not to pray like hypocrites or pagans. Hypocrites try to impress men, while pagans try to impress idols. Christians are taught to pray without any ulterior motives or superstitious chanting. 
Christians are taught to relate to God as Father, trusting that He will supply all their needs the way a father cares for his children. If you have your Bibles, look at them. Read silently as I read it aloud. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Holy Spirit, communicate to the Father God's will. Impress upon us in our hearts a desire for your will, Father. Let your will be our delight. Let, let all of us delight in your will. Let us be eager to talk to the Creator of heaven and earth. Just simply for the sake of the privilege. Let us not do it for any ulterior motives. Let us do it to simply talk with you, God, and to communicate with you. Thank you for that privilege that you, Jesus Christ, opened up for us. We just thank you, Jesus. You tore down the curtain by your crucifixion. Your sacrifice is acceptable to God. No sacrifice of bulls or rams could ever tear down that curtain, but you, Jesus, your sacrifice. Let us never forget you are all to us. Without you, Jesus, and what you did, there is no communication with God. Thank you for this wonderful privilege to talk with you, God, together as a community of people who love you. The first thing we have to understand about our passage is that Jesus tells us, don't pray like hypocrites. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's the operative phrase there. There's nothing necessarily wrong with praying standing up. I just prayed standing up. Jesus prayed communally. The disciples prayed communally. They prayed together in churches. There's nothing wrong with the posture. There's nothing about the posture, though many in those days stood up and prayed. We also know that Jesus was, went down on his face in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed. And so there's nothing necessarily right about the posture, at least not of the body, right? The posture that God's looking at is not the body. He's looking at the heart. Always the posture of the heart. 
for the love to stand and pray in the synagogues, that's like a, a modern day church, and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. That's why they do it. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, what is a hypocrite? We use the term a lot. You may not know what it means. D.A. Carson defines it as someone who professes to be good when he knows that he's not. That's a simple way of defining a hypocrite. Someone who professes to be good when he knows that he's not. Greeks coined the phrase to refer, refer to play actors who wore masks and who masqueraded around on stage as a good person when they were actually someone false. You've seen the guy, I forget his last name, this, this famous mask from the movie V from Vendetta, he's got the smile. Guy Fawkes. There you go. It's a very disturbing mask. Because there's this smile, it's like clowns. Right? We're all afraid of clowns. Because ain't nobody in this world that happy. Hey, I mean, squirt you in the face with my flower. Oh. Oh, most of the time, people aren't happy until they've had their third cup of coffee. There's something uneasy about that mask. And so play actors wore a mask. And they looked like they were happy, and they looked like they were good, but deep down you knew, and everybody watching knew they were bad. Jesus says, don't be like hypocrites. So he gives us here a negative command. He says, instead of saying be like this, he says, don't be like hypocrites. Jesus has already given us his positive command against acting hypocritical when he commanded us to simply let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. So he's already given us a positive command. Now he gives us a negative command. Don't be like hypocrites. And he calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He says they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. That's the center of Jewish religion and commerce. When Jews moved away from the city where they could be at the temple, they developed synagogues, which turned into our modern-day churches. And they would handle commerce, but mostly it would be the place of religious worship. There was no standard way of praying. In fact, Jesus noted the noble character of the tax collector who wouldn't even lift up his eyes towards heaven. So don't focus too much on the standing here. What Jesus is concerned about is that they love to stand and pray in the synagogues always for the approval of others. That's it. And they pray at the street corners. Anyone who's ever gone to an airport has certainly come across a band of Hare Krishnas literally beating their own drums to steal the attention of the patrons. What the motive of their hearts is, I, I don't know. But I only use them to point out that it's not uncommon to see people worshiping in public as a means of drawing attention to themselves. Even some Christians do this. And Jesus warned that those who prayed to be seen by men had received their reward. In other words, their prayers were answered, but not by God. Their prayers were answered. Because when they were praying, they always had an open eye towards people. Are people watching? Are they hearing the fancy words I'm saying? Are they impressed with how holy I am? And 
they learn. Beautiful prayer. And Jesus says, there's your reward. Because your heart, at least the heart of the Pharisee, was not praying just to God, but praying to win the approval of men. And so the prayers are answered. Everybody in the room heard how important they sound. Jesus is not saying don't pray in public. He's saying, what is your heart really after? How often have you heard someone say the phrase, don't pray like a hypocrite? Never. Never heard that phrase. Because we don't often think about prayer as an act of hypocrisy. Prayer is considered a good in and of itself. The very act of prayer is a humbling experience where a person acknowledges God's existence and God's own sovereignty over all things. But sinners, another word for human beings, corrupt things, and even in acts of righteousness, even in acts of worship, they corrupt by their sinful ways. Jesus tells us the true intention of the Pharisees. They pray standing in synagogues and on street corners that they may be seen by men. And we might be able to trick men about our holiness, but we won't be able to trick God. For he is the one who searches men's heart. Romans 8.27 In Jeremiah 17.10, God said, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. Remember, when you get down on your knees and you pray, God is looking right past your mouth and right down your throat and right at your heart. You cannot deceive God with words. You can't impress men, but you can't deceive God with words. And the Pharisees made a profession of this. They were whitewashed tombs. They, they looked like good religious Baptists on the outside, but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. Jesus notes their hypocrisy in three ways. They give in order to impress men. We see pharisaical acts all the time. Every time one of these superstars goes over to Africa and adopts a couple babies, even without the parent permission. It's got to be on the news so that everybody can be impressed. Or the Pharisees give and they worship and they pray so that they can win men's approval. We do it too. When we throw our penny in the offering plate, we want to make sure that thing rings. Hear that? That was a penny. Remember the widow who gave her a penny? Well, I've given mine. Or they fast to win men's approval. And Jesus says, they've got the reward. Their reward is the approval of men rather than the reward of God. I don't know about you, but I want the reward of God. And they fasted to impress men. The Pharisees looked like believers on the outside, but lived like atheists on the inside. Jesus says, don't pray like the Pharisees, like the hypocrites. 
And it tells us again in a couple verses down in verses 7 and 8. Don't pray like pagans. So he gives us another negative command. So not only do we sometimes pray with sinful motives, we can also pray in sinful modes. Not only do we pray with sinful motives, sometimes we pray in sinful modes, that is, sinful ways. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That word means those of other nations. It means most scholars believe it means pagans, that is, non-believers. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Again, He gives us this command in the negative voice. He uses the word babbling in the Greek. It's an automatopoeia word. Automatopoeia means it sounds like what it is. The word and the sound are the same. Right? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Cough. There's one. What's one? Swish. When somebody shoots a basketball, swish or bam, like you did it. But swish is not on a And So Jesus uses his word. He says, don't babble. Don't babble on like the pagans. In other words, he's saying that they're using incoherent words. We have a prayer using incoherent words. We have a prayer using incoherent words. Because we learned it at a church. God wants coherent language. Those groanings that are too deep for us aren't incoherent words. Don't be like the pagans. If the Pharisees desire the approval of men, the pagans desire the approval of idols, and both are equally impotent in answering prayers. Josh McDowell said it correctly, potted plants don't answer prayers. Some of us might pray like pagans, either by repeating incantations over and over again, thinking that the more we say magic words like Father God, the more likely He is to answer our prayers. Still, some of us might pray like pagans in that we pray to idols other than God the Father. The person who prays to their dead loved ones, a grandmother perhaps, prays to an empty vessel just like a pagan did before a graven image. Neither an empty vessel or a dead loved one can answer your prayers. Yet this is something that happens from time to time, even within Christian circles. Where we sit before a, a picture of Jesus and we pray before a picture of Jesus. Or we pray to a grandmother who was a wonderful woman, I'm sure. But when you pray, don't pray like a pagan, says Jesus. At least the Pharisees won the approval of men. But pagans? Those who pray to empty idols add insult to injury. They not only miss out on any blessing from God whatsoever, but they often suffer the physical torture of self-flagellation, all for nothing. Self-flagellation is beating and whipping your back for penance. And they would do that to get gods, their gods to answer their prayers. 1 Kings 18.26, the story of the prophets of Baal. 
says they took the bull that was given them and they prepared. So here's the scene. The prophet of God is one. The prophets of Baal, 400, and they're on this mountaintop. And they're going to have a, a holy competition to see which one answers prayer. And they looked at the bull that was given them. This is the prophets of Baal. And they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal. Their prayers began with our father Baal. From morning until, morning until noon, that's a long prayer. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. The prophet of God begins to mock the pagan prophet. Oh, just pray louder. Maybe your God's on the toilet, is what he says. Because it's a joke. Because praying to things and images and graven images, and if you have graven images and you pray to them, stop. They cannot answer your prayers. St. Christopher, or whoever it is on your dashboard, doesn't keep you from getting into wrecks. The God of heaven and earth might make you get into a wreck. And he still demands your prayer and worship. As midday passes, and they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords. This was their custom. Because their gods didn't answer their prayers. They had to cut themselves to get the gods to do something. Until the blood, it says, gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one even paid attention. What a waste of flesh and blood and time. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar, the altar they broke up to the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two saves of seed. The measurement and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. He's following the way God has told them to worship him. He put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood. Now he's going to make a show of this. He said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and it filled the trench also with water, so that every part of this altar, including the trench, was absolutely soaked with water. It would be impossible for a flame to consume this sacrifice at this point. And the time of offering of oblation came, and Elijah the prophet came near and said this, Listen to how, remember, they prayed from morning till noon. And all Elijah did was say, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. All the glories removed from Elijah. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones itself and even the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You can pray loudly and you can repeat incantations all you want, but as long as you don't call upon God and you call upon false idols, there will be no answer to your prayer. Do not be impressed when your workmates tell you they pray. Ask them who they are praying to. When our country and our leaders have all of these prayer breakfasts, I'm not impressed with them closing their eyes and saying impressive words. Your words are impressive to God. He put the words in your mouth. David says he knows the words before they come off your tongue. doesn't matter what you're saying. It matters who you're praying to and what your heart wants from Him. God is never impressed with us. He only wants a contrite heart. A heart that cries out, Abba, Father, please. The way my children come to me and say, Daddy, will you give me some food? Because they can't get it if I don't give it to them. They can't reach it. Your grandmother's not going to get healed unless you go to the God who can do it. Your life's not going to get in order unless you go to the God who can fix it. Your sins aren't going to be forgiven unless you go to the God who can take it away. It doesn't matter that they pray to Allah. It's not another name for God. That's not God. Jesus is Lord. Now we're in the prayer business. It doesn't matter what we do and say. And, and whether we're on our knees, whether we're standing up or closing our eyes, what's your heart calling out to you? What do you want? Psalm 158, 5 through 8. All idols have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. They have noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet that cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats, and those who make them will be like them. That is completely useless. Your prayers are useless unless, unless they're to God, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so will all that trust in that. We are made in God's image. That's the standard of what we should be like. Idols are made in our image. And the irony there is, without God, those carved images are exactly the same thing that we are. Nothing but a conglomeration of atoms. But with God, there's 
prayer of God's people should therefore reflect the personal relationship of the person they have with Him and resting completely on His promises. Then how should we pray? Jesus says, don't pray like Pharisees or hypocrites. Don't pray like pagans. How should we pray? Jesus says then, do it like this. Now this isn't the only way to pray. Craig Blomberg is right. He says that the Lord's Prayer, that title, the Lord's Prayer, would be a better title for what Jesus does in John 17. Jesus is not saying this is the only way to pray. He's saying when you pray, here are the principles you should follow. Follow these principles. So he lays down general principles that every one of our prayers should follow. Number one, our prayers should acknowledge God as Father. Our Father. Think about this for a second. God is your Father. The Bible says we can enter boldly into His throne room. My children enter boldly into my room because they're my children. They just bust open doors all the time. I mean, do they not bust open doors? They, they slam doors into walls all the time. They enter boldly. And it's never to say, Daddy, I love you. It's always to say, Daddy, give me some cheese. We love spring cheese, you know? Daddy, give me some spring cheese. Daddy, I want chicken nuggets. Daddy, come quick. I want this toy on TV. They enter boldly. You know why? Because they're my children. Don't come up in my house opening my doors because you're not my children. <laughs> Get out! Fang! Go lick it. Fang's good for barking. Unless you go on the mic. But they're my children! And so they have the right to ask me whatever they want. They cry out to me, Daddy! And Jesus is crying out to him, Abba. That's an Aramaic word, which is again an automatopoeia. It's the first word usually the babies would learn. And they, ah, uh, just give it to me. You know what it is. You know when your baby, when your baby, you know your baby. You know what they want even before they even ask. And you know, that means I got poop in my diaper or something like that. You usually know that before they even ask. And then you know, give them something. Principle is that we acknowledge God. He's our Father. He's not the big guy in the sky waiting to zap you if you get this prayer thing wrong. He's your Father. He's a loving parent. He's better than any human father you ever had. And if you had a deadbeat dad, I'm sorry, but God's nothing like that. He's as far as the east is from the west. The God. That you worship his father. You say, well, well, every other religion prays to God. Yeah, but, yeah, but they're not his kids. They don't get to call him dad. You do. Because of Jesus. Number two, pray. Our prayers should always acknowledge God's transcendence. Our father who is in heaven. 
That means he's not in that idol or in that picture of Jesus on your wall. Why does Jesus in those pictures always look like Kenny Loggins? <laughs> he's always this white hippie like, hey, what's up? They're always like, are we going surfing? Take up your surfboard and follow me to the beach. I mean, what are you praying to? No, no, no. If, if that picture, you know you want your picture of Jesus in your house, keep it. But if you're praying to it, tear that thing down and say, I do. Our prayers should acknowledge God's transcendence. Our Father, where? In heaven. He's not... He's not here. He's not part of the world. I keep hearing this from young people all the time. I just believe we're all part of God. No, 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 no. No, we're not all part of God. Our Father is in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Who made the heavens and the earth by His voice. Who is separate from the heavens and the earth. I acknowledge you. That God. We acknowledge God's transcendence. He is a necessary being. He cannot not exist. All things, including time itself, are the result of Him. There is nothing in all the physical reality that is divine. God is beyond the physical universe, sustaining and guiding it to fulfill all of His perfect plans and purposes. He is our Father in heaven, where He dwells in unapproachable light. The seraphim themselves must cover their eyes, for His glory is too much to look upon. God is so unlike the corruption of this world that men and women feared for their very lives when they were in His presence. Our Father in the glories of heaven. That's who we're praying to. Our prayer should acknowledge that holiness. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. God is holy. It is our privilege to know His name. For in it we are certain of His covenant faithfulness, by which He revealed to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, I will do what I say I will do. I am holy. I am not a man that I should lie. So that when God makes a promise to you, and you open that Bible and you pray back that promise to Him, it's not to remind Him, it's to remind you that He's the type of God, holy and perfect and blameless, who keeps it. Our prayer should acknowledge God's sovereignty. We should acknowledge God's sovereignty. What is sovereignty? It is God's absolute rule over His creatures. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We think subconsciously that God is restricted to His domain in heaven and that what happens on earth is outside of His purview, but nothing could be further from the truth. David declared to God or that God knows when man stands and when he sits down. That no man, if man made his bed in Sheol, God was there. That God himself formed his inward parts and knitted him together in his mother's womb. You say that's not a life in the mother's womb. God knitted those parts together. He's knitting the baby together. In my pregnant wife right now. That is God's sovereign decision what happens with that baby. And should she live? Should she die? God is still sovereign. He is still good. Amen. Because He doesn't 
God may be sovereign, He's commanding us to acknowledge that God is sovereign. That when a bird falls from the tree, God knew about it. We have a dead duck outside of our street and somebody just kicked him over into our swale. God knew that duck's name, whatever it was. He knew that duck. He said, that's silly. Don't say that's silly. Because the God you're praying to knows where every particle and every atom and every galaxy in this universe is and what it's doing right now. We must acknowledge God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a short way of asking for God to provide us for all of our needs. It's not give us this day our million dollars. Though if you could take that million dollars and serve Him with it, He'll give it to you. It's give us our needs. Proverbs 10.9 says that the righteous man doesn't go God feeds the righteous man. Our prayer should acknowledge God's forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses, our debts. He uses the word debts here because Jews viewed their relationship with God as one of debts. That's why when Jesus and Peter were having a conversation and Peter told Jesus, how many times should I forgive my, my brother who sins against me as many as seven times? And God said, not 70 times seven. Because he viewed it as debts, and then he tells a story of a, a rich king. And the rich king, who had a land servant, and it was time to pay up their taxes and give back to the king what they received as their tenants, they came to him, and he owed him a debt that he couldn't pay back. 10,000 talents, which is equivalent to something like, like 600 million years or something. I mean, it's ridiculous. $600 million, something like that. It was unthinkable that a person could pay it. Couldn't pay it. But the king had mercy on him, and he forgave him. But then that servant goes off and finds a servant of men, his own servant, who owes him a hundred measly denarii, three months' wages. That's it, three months' wages. It's nothing. And the man says, have pity on me, I can't pay it back. And then that man, takes his servant, throws him in prison until he can pay it back. When the king finds out, he is indignant and enraged and brings the servant back who owed him 10,000 talents and throws him in prison until he can pay back every cent, which means never. Jesus says pray like this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We may not like what I'm about to say, but this is what it says. And this is what Matthew teaches. There is a relationship between how God has forgiven us and how we forgive others. Forgive us our trespasses as we do the same lesser debts. Oh, I'm mad at this guy. He double-crossed me. Yeah, you've been rebelling against the holy God of the universe, and he forgave you. You can't forgive your brother his lesser debt? God's people forgive debts like God has forgiven their greater debt. Lastly, our prayers should acknowledge God's protection. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So many times we pray for safety, but how often do we pray for spiritual safety? To be protected from spiritual immorality. Jesus isn't saying here that God leads us into temptation. James taught that no one should say when he's tempted that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But rather that God would not let us succumb to temptation, and that he would not abandon us to temptation. And God has not abandoned us to temptation, because no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also, when temptation comes, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You say, how does God provide a way in the midst of temptation? What's his, what's his provision for me in the middle of temptation? It is his word. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, God never abandoned him because he gave him his word. And every time Satan came with some promise of fleeting pleasures of this life, Jesus always claimed the eternal promises of God found in his word. Jesus says, pray like this. Don't pray like pagans. Don't pray like hypocrites. Pray to God alone. Don't pray for the approval of others and don't pray falsely to false gods. But pray in secret that your Heavenly Father, who is in secret, may reward you. Let's pray. Oh God, you are holy as we consider you in light of our own wickedness, Lord God, we know we are found wanting. Lord God, I pray that the people here in this church would look to you, God, that they might see your glory and see how perfect you are so that they might see how imperfect they are. Let your glory reflect their sin so that they might rely on Jesus, your Son. I pray that our people will rely on Jesus, your Son. And no other thing, Lord God, I pray that if there is corruption in our prayer in this church this morning, that you would take that corruption away and that our people would acknowledge you, God, their Father, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, thank you. We honor you. We ask all these things according to your will.